for checking out Anchor Church's YouTube channel. We hope you're encouraged by this message. If you have your Bibles today, you can open up to the book of Psalms 63, and uh, we'll be hopping around a little bit in Scripture today, but this is where we are going to start. Uh, this is where we've been starting this entire series that we've been on. While you're turning to Psalm 63, I want to say hello to those who are viewing online. I want to tell you again and again that you matter. Uh, we know that you're not in this room right now, but you are a part of this community, and we love you, and we care for you. Uh, special shout out to all of the spring breakers who are making their way home right now, or will watch, be watching this later because you're on spring break. Uh, hope you had a great trip, and uh, we are excited to have you guys back in town. Uh, before we look at Psalm 63, we are in a series right now that we're calling He is Worthy. And uh, this is uh, a series essentially on the concept of, of worship, how we express worship to God. And the reason that we worship in any form or fashion is simply because God's worthy of it. That there are some benefits to worship that we talk about. There's, there's responses that, that impact us in certain ways. But we don't worship because of how we feel. We don't worship because of what it does for us. We worship simply because God is worthy. And when we begin to consider who he is and what he's done, it draws worship out of us whether there are benefits to it or not, uh, he's worthy of our worship. We've been talking about how there is both individual worship and corporate worship. Individually, worship is, in the broadest sense, it is the, the lifestyle, the behavior of following Jesus. Anything that you do, any decision that you make, what you do with your time, your money, your resources, your preparation, your response, that is, is a reaction or a response to, to loving Jesus, to following Jesus, that in, in any fashion is worship. That you love Jesus enough that it begins to affect the way that you behave in any way. And individual worship is, is so important. But corporate worship is also important. Corporate worship is kind of what we're experiencing right now, where you get together with other people who believe in Jesus, who have faith in Jesus, and, and you publicly express your admiration of God, whether that's through song or other forms, that you are publicly declaring the admiration of God. And we believe, and we're going to talk extensively throughout the series in both, that worship is intended to be individual, but then it is also to be corporate, that we need both. That uh, if you come to settings like this and you engage in worship and you sing along or you raise your hands or whatever it looks like to you to engage here, yet throughout the week, you're missing all the opportunities of actually following Jesus and expressing your worship and obedience to him, missing out on the concept of worship. Yet at the same time, if you're just consistently individually engaging and trying to be a follower of Jesus, obey, honor, express adoration to him through the way that you live, and yet you never come together with other believers and publicly declare the, the admiration of God, that you're also missing out on what worship is intended to be, that it is both individual and it is corporate. And as we're talking about uh, individual and corporate worship, we've kind of started out talking more in a corporate sense. We're going to get more and more into the individual sense throughout this series. Uh, but we are really working hard to not just uh, teach content, but to build a culture. And I've said this every week we've come together, um, but I know that every time that we're, we come together and we teach and we prioritize any concept, that it is building culture, but we're putting like extra emphasis on this series of like, who are we as a young church? And corporately, what does it mean that we understand that God is worthy and we we're learning how to express that? But also, what does it mean individually to be a person who doesn't just attend a church, but learns to live a life reflecting the worthiness of our God? We wanna build a culture for this community 
community on a Sunday morning, but we also want to build culture in our homes, build culture in your own life, build a culture in your own marriage, building a culture with your kids of what does it mean to not just attend a church, but to be someone who is so passionately following Jesus that we live a life that reflects his worthiness. Uh, As we jump into uh, Psalm 63, uh, we're going to look at verses 3 through 5. This is kind of our theme scripture for this series. It says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Uh, Can we put others up on the screen? Psalm 63, 3 through 5. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. That we, we will live this life of worship. We will bless. We will, we will raise our hands. Our lips will sing the praise of God. But the reason we do this is because his love is better than life. Because when we recognize the love of God towards us, it pulls out of us. This, this expression of worship, that we will worship him, not because our souls become satisfied, but we worship him because of his love is so much better than anything in this life. But the beauty of worship is at the end of the day, although it's not why we do it and we don't deserve it, our souls do become satisfied. There's something that happens at a soul level when you engage with the presence of God. That uh, maybe physically, circumstantially, nothing has changed, but our souls find peace, our souls find a home, our souls find rest in the presence of God, and we engage through worship. So a question we've been asking is, okay, if he's worthy, how do we express that worthiness? If we recognize it, how do we express it? And we've talked about... um, for a quick recap, expressions of worship. We talked about verbal expressions. The scripture talks about how we can sing, we can shout, we can speak, we can verbally express the worthiness of God. Last week, we talked about uh, the, the physical expressions that, that scripture gives us of how we can express the worthiness of God. We talked about we can use instruments, we can clap, we can dance, we can kneel, we can raise our hands. And although some of us are more comfortable with some of these expressions than others, that this is what God told us worship can be expressed and ought to be expressed. So we've talked about verbal expressions and we've talked about physical expressions. We've talked about the expression of being a part of a community, about being a part of this body and how that we operate uh, in, in that role as a community. But today, we're going to move from verbal and uh, we're going to move, move from physical to emotional expressions, which I know for some of you, this is going to be super comfortable to talk about your emotions here today. Uh, but we're going to talk about how is worship, not just verbal and physical, but emotional. I really do want to encourage you as much as we hope you listen to, to every week that we come together in this series. If you've missed out on, on verbal expressions and you missed out on physical expressions, we encourage you to go check it out on YouTube uh, because these are really uh, kind of some statement messages of building the culture of who we are and why would we raise our hands or why would we kneel or why would we express in any of these fashions. And so uh, if you have any of those questions, I encourage you to go listen to those. But we're going to move on from verbal and physical to emotional expressions. Uh, my wife and I, Danny, we have been married now for 14 years this last January, and uh, our wedding was super fun. It was in the middle of January, and it was snowy, and, uh, and then we, uh, we got married, and there was a, a ton of friends and family members, and the ceremony was great, and the reception was great, and we had uh, lots of food and dancing and music and laughter and stories, and it was a really, really special time. 
But as the reception is ending uh, and we are about to make our getaway uh, to the hotel, uh, Danny and I are, are kind of saying our goodbyes and getting ready to, to leave. And uh, my little brother uh, comes running up to me as we are leaving. And, and uh, I had never moved out of the house before getting married. And so uh, he wasn't quite ready for big brother to leave the house. So he just like latches onto me. And I'm just down there on my knees holding my little brother. And he's crying because he's kind of not ready for this. And, uh, and finally, after a few minutes, we kind of peel him off of me. And, uh, and I, Danny and I go to the car. And we're making our getaway from our wedding, about to drive to the hotel. And as I sit in the car, uh, and we're about to leave, I, uh, I get overwhelmed with, with emotion. Like everything had kind of been building up, like weddings are a big deal anyways. A lot of emotion going into it, but the commitment that we've just made and the rest of our lives ahead of us, and uh, this, this moment is, is becoming super overwhelming. And I'm sitting there in the car, and uh, this is a moment that uh, obviously I've been excited for for some time, to get away with my brand new wife. We're going to head to the hotel, and I begin to cry. And uh, I'm sitting there in the car, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm crying. And my cry turns into an ugly cry. And my ugly cry turns into weeping. And then it turns into, i got to pull over because I can't see the road, and I can't, like, hardly breathe. And I'm, like, wiping my eyes trying to see. And I am just sobbing in the car, and I'm holding my new wife's hand, and I look over at her, and she's just kind of got this dazed look back at me. And I told her, I promise, I looked at her and said, I I really am excited. <laughs> I, I am excited. And she's like, what have I just done? <laughs> but I'm sobbing. And, uh, and so we end up getting to the hotel. We park. And we have to wait a few minutes so that I can get some composure. Uh, I try to, like, wipe off my face, get it together. Like, all right, man, you got this. Like, this is, this is okay. You, you can go. And uh, so finally, uh, get some composure. And uh, we, we go into the hotel. And we drop off our bags. And I, I turn around. And my new wife is sitting on the edge of the bed. And she is sobbing. <laughs> it was like, this is not the envisionment that we had for this moment, but she's just sobbing. Because we are e emotional beings. And sometimes emotions show up at unexpected times and in unexpected ways. Because the reality is, is there are pressures and there are experiences and there, there are uh, times in life where what we go through is internally building up emotion. And then God built us and designed us that as this pressure is building up on the inside of emotion and a feeling, that there are ways that he has designed us to have an outlet for those emotions, that they begin to be expressed. He created us with ways to get that which is going on the inside out into the outside. I know some people are more emotional than other people. And some of us uh, lean towards one set of emotions more than other sets of emotions. But we are designed with emotions and we are designed with outlets for those emotions. I believe that emotions are uh, the universal language that we're born with. It's, it's a language of communicating that something is going on on the inside. We can communicate that without even a, a verbal language. It, we all had to learn English or whatever languages you have learned. They have to be progressively learned. But none of us had to learn the emotions or the expression of those emotions. No baby had to learn how to express crying or laughter or, or hurt or discomfort. That we have this natural, uh, it, this language that we are born with of emotions and the expression of these emotions. They are the universal language. We are emotional beings. I think um, 
we have these emotional responses, and they're from God. I think they're by his design, because he's aware that there are feelings, pressures building up on the inside that uh, need to come out in some form. And again, they can be unplanned. They can be reactionary. That is certainly not the way that I envisioned our wedding night going, but there are pressures that need to be, re- be released at some points. How many of you uh, have ever had your emotions sneak up on you in worship, in church? Like you're sitting here, everything seems to be going all right, but all of a sudden emotion is welling up inside you. Uh, You don't have to raise your hand, but uh, I want to let you know, uh, I don't want this to to, to deter anyone from future uh, engagement, but um, I see you crying from up here sometimes. Like there's there's a lot of you that, that, that cry. That's uh, as we're, we're preaching or as worship's going, tears begin to flow. And it's not like you woke up like, I'm going to get real dressed up, going to put the makeup on, I'm going to look real good so I can go sit in front of people and cry. Like, I know that wasn't the intention, but there's something where emotions can sneak up on us. We, we had a young man who last week, uh, as we were talking about worship, for the first time kind of engaged in worship by the raising of his hands and was communicating like uh, the, the emotional feeling that was attached to that, like how it heightened and changed. And, and, and there is something that happens inside of us uh, in the presence of God. Because I want to say this, that worship is not just verbal. Worship is not just physical. Worship is also emotional. And whether we've acknowledged it or not, and it usually isn't a topic that we address too much, but worship, engaging in the presence of God, it hits the feelings. It hits the emotions. So we're going to talk today about these, these emotional outlets in the context of worship. I want to say this again before we jump into these four points today, is that the goal of worship, including any and all of its expressions, is to bring honor and attention to God. And if we are ever expressing worship in a way that is drawing attention to ourselves and distracting people from God, then, then we've crossed the line. So we are kind of walking this balance in this series of absolutely challenging you and pushing you to grow in what it means to be expressive in your worship, verbally, physically, and emotionally, that we want to engage in these, but we also want to understand there is, there is a line where scripture is very clear that the way that we behave in a church setting should be beneficial to all. So we want to be cautious if we're approaching the line of this is distracting, this isn't benefiting the people around me, and if we're drawing near that line, we need to pull back a little bit, but we're not going to stop engaging for the, for the fear of potentially being distracting. We're going to walk this balance together. And I know uh, some personalities are more expressive than others, and they should be. Uh, So when it comes to worship, some people are going to be a lot more expressive than others, and growth and expression is going to look different for different people. So we're going to be challenged once again today to not just engage verbally, not just to engage physically, but to engage even on an emotional level. Um, I want to make one more statement before we jump into these, these four ways we can engage emotionally. Uh, In church settings, and if you've got a church background, you may be able to identify this as well, but there seems to be kind of two extremes when it comes to emotions, and they can be very dangerous. Uh, One extreme that can be seen in the church is emotional manipulation, that we create certain settings, and you just got to have the lights just right, and the sound just right, and get the smoke just right, and we got to say and create these feelings and use a certain language to try to, to create a certain atmosphere that could manipulate emotions into a certain response. 
And uh, we, I think that there is a great danger in creating situations where we are manipulating emotions. But I think the other danger is emotional avoidance. Because we don't want to do that, because we won't want to be that, we're just going to have this as dry and, and not engage with emotion on any level. I think both are incredibly dangerous. That uh, we are emotional beings. That God created us with emotions. We can't avoid the part of us that is emotional. Yet we need to be cautious to not just say, hey, how can we formulate this to, to be something that's not genuine to get the response that we're desiring for ourselves? And so we're going to say no to emotional manipulation, but we're also going to say no to emotional e uh, avoidance, and we're going to say yes to emotional stewardship. How can we engage with our emotions that God created us with and not take those too, too far? How can we say this, this is something that God designed us with is a way that we can engage in any relationship includes emotions, uh, but we are going to engage our emotions properly. So again, this is pushing, but also being aware and being good stewards of what God has put inside of us. So today, four biblical ways to express emotionally God's worthiness. It's going to be super simple. Uh, we'll reference a few scriptures, but there's one scripture that just kind of covers this all for us. In Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about Jesus, who is God in the flesh. Uh, he felt the way that we feel, that, that he experienced emotions. You can see certain emotions. You can see his anger. You can see his sadness. You can see his joy. You can see Jesus as an emotional being. And Hebrews 4 says that whatever you have felt or whatever you are feeling, Jesus isn't distant from that. He has experienced the level of emotions and feelings that you have as well. So number one today, for you note takers, we can express his worthiness by shouting. Now I know we already covered shouting in the verbal expressions, uh, but we're gonna take a different angle on it in this moment because shouting, um, it is an outlet for emotions. Over 30 times in the Psalms, we're told to engage in worship with, with shouting, with volume. And uh, sometimes uh, the emotions that are behind shouting can, can be across the board. Sometimes we shout out of excitement. Sometimes the emotion of, of, of celebration, of victory is inside of us and it comes out in a shout. Sometimes the emotion that we feel is fear. And the way that that emotion comes to the outside is through a shout, through yelling. Sometimes it's frustration is the emotion that we're feeling. And the way that that frustration built up on the inside comes out to the outside is through shouting. There is something exhilarating and relieving about a good shout, about a good yell. I don't know if you've ever like been trying to like fix something and you're getting frustrated, just not working. And if you can just like slam down the, the, the like screwdriver and just let out a, Argh! it doesn't change anything. Nothing is fixed, but it gets, okay, I feel better. There's just like a shout does something. Why do we shout and yell on roller coasters? It's because there is something happening on the inside that has to escape. It's got to come to the outside. Uh, we went to uh, Silverwood a, a couple of years ago, and they got the one roller coaster, the one ride that's called Panic Plunge that just takes you straight up, low, real slow, and then you get to the top, and it just drops you. And it's like a two-second ride, really quick, and you just get this gut-dropping feeling. Uh, we were on this ride, and Danny was sitting next to me, and we go up and, and kind of squirming and squealing on the way up. And then once the drop hits, uh, Danny wanted to scream, but as you're dropping, it's difficult to scream. So the ride happens. She's completely silent. We get to the bottom. The ride is over for a good three or four seconds, and then she screams. Like, it's just like we're down there. We've got video evidence of this. The kids were videoing us, and we get to the bottom. Ride is over. We're unbuckling. Ah! Like it just lets out. 
Because although the ride was over, the gut drop feeling was over, what was built up on the inside still had to come out. Relief had to happen, and the relief comes in the form of a shout. That it is a release that God has designed us with to get what's going on on the inside to the outside. Maybe you guys have experienced uh, shouting at a TV screen, although your shout does nothing externally, it does something internally. How many of you guys have been watching a scary movie and you like verbally tell them, just turn on the light. Like, don't go that way. That's a really stupid decision right there. And we have to get it on the outside. Or you're watching a chick flick and it's like, just tell him you love him. He's about to marry someone else. It's a story that your voice has no impact on. But sometimes we feel like we got to get it out. How many of you guys have been watching sports and find yourself yelling at the referee? Or how could the coach make that decision? Or how could he make that pass? Why didn't he? We, we yell at the TV. It happened just last Sunday. I was watching the Grizz soccer game, uh, which was amazing. 17 seconds left in overtime. Uh, set piece. The ball goes in the goal and the ref calls it off. And I was so mad, Alexa. I stood up in my room all by myself. I was like, you can't do that. And, Maybe it did change something because they changed the score. Lady Grizz win. And uh, it was just like something inside. You just have to yell when emotion is building up. And, uh, and then it was so fun even just observe you guys on the soccer team, like the emotion of it getting called off and getting frustrated. And then when they come back and they call it a goal, everyone, guess what you all did? You shouted uh, because emotion had built up. And uh, it is a way that we let what's going on on the inside come to the outside. Now, when it comes to worship, I want to tell you that uh, worship is an opportunity for us to take what is going on on the inside and express it towards God on the outside. And I know we spend a lot of time on this in the verbal uh, message, but it is appropriate at certain times, and we need to consider when it is appropriate. We're not going to take the time to talk about that again today. But there are appropriate and inappropriate times for volume, and we need to be aware of how is this beneficial. But there are times where the emotions going on on the inside, whether it is an emotion of difficulty or it's an emotion of joy, of celebration, of gratitude, that there are appropriate times where an outlet God has given you to emotionally engage is with a shout. Psalms 101 says, shout with joy to the Lord all the earth, just to give you one of the 30 verses, that everyone is designed and wired to emotionally engage with a shout. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Not just you loud, boisterous, expressive people and the introverts can stay quiet. No, it says everybody. There are times for us to engage with a shout. Now, we've been talking about actually taking the word of God and engaging with it and putting it into practice. So we're going to do something that's going to make you really uncomfortable. Some of you think this is great because you love being loud. We're going to do what the Bible says right now. We're going to shout. So here's how this is going to work. Yeah, so we got some people pumped about it. Some of you are just real nervous at this moment. Here's the deal. No one's going to be alone, so we don't have to feel weird about it. We're going to, in just a moment, I'm going to give you like three seconds, maybe four or five seconds to consider the goodness of God. Maybe you think about his forgiveness. Maybe you think about his grace, his generosity, the, the health that he's given you, the family, whatever it is. We're going to think about the goodness of God. And then that should build up a little bit of excitement on the inside. And then we're going to release that excitement with a little shout for joy. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. I think mine's going to be woot, but I'll say it a little bit louder. Woo! No, I'm going to leave off the T. It's just going to be woo. Um, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to feel really good. 
because we're going to get something that's built up on the inside outside and you're going to feel better for it. Those of you that are watching online, this is going to be so much fun. Uh, freak your neighbors out. If you're watching this in the gym later in the week, people are just going to think you're really into your workout, but uh, let's do this together. We're supposed to shout for joy. Express through a shout. So we're going to do it. I'm going to give you just a couple seconds to think on the goodness of God, and then we're going to go three, two, one, and we're all going to let out a little something, something. You ready for this? It's going to be so great. All right. Think about the goodness of God right now. Three, two, one. feel that? Some of you got goosebumps. Some of you didn't feel a whole lot. But that allows something from the inside to come to the outside. Number one, we can express the worthiness of God emotionally through shouting. Number two, we can express his worthiness by crying. If you weren't uncomfortable yet, some of you are now over the top uncomfortable by crying. It's an outlet that God's given us. And the emotion behind crying can be anything from joy to sadness. Some of us have cried over really bad news, and all of us have cried over really good news. That they, it can be all across the spectrum, that emotions are often let out through crying. 32 times in the Psalms, and a lot of times it is uh, in regards to, to feeling down, feeling uh, attacked, but it talks about crying out to the Lord. We see the cries of Jesus, whether it was sadness or his love over Jerusalem or the death of a friend or in the garden, that Jesus uh, had emotions and he cried. I love how Hebrews chapter 5 says this. It says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep, deep reverence for God. That Jesus himself, in deep reverence and deep communion with God, part of his expression was through was through crying, through tears. Loud crying, it says. I want to tell you that crying, although some people are not comfortable with crying, uh, crying is a soul expression. It's a spirit-level expression. It does what words can't do. It takes something built up on the inside and lets it out. Some of you, um, if you're honest enough, would admit that you, you like a good cry. There's just, it's maybe not the activity of it, but there's just, you've learned the value of a good cry and uh, actually enjoy it. And I think sometimes there's cries of joy and there's cries of sadness, but uh, is anyone familiar with the I don't know cry? <laughs> you know, it seems to be more common for the ladies than the fellas. Uh, guys, let me just give you a little bit of free relational advice. Um, there is a thing as the I don't know cry, and uh, you don't have to fix it. Uh, you just, if, if you ask what's wrong and you get a I don't know cry, I want to tell you your best option right there is put your arm around her and just say, let it out, baby. Just let it out, baby. And I know you want to fix it, but the best way to fix it in this moment is just grab a tissue and let it go. Because there is something healing that's happening, not because you're fixing it, but something happens even in the I don't know cry. There's something strange that happens after a cry where nothing's really changed. The circumstance is still the same. The challenge, the obstacles are still the same. But internally, something feels different. It builds us up. It brings a release. It brings a calm. It brings a peace. That although nothing has changed, it's like puffy eyes, peaceful heart, and I'll take it. Like it's just, it's something happens on the inside. And I think sometimes God will give us the I don't know cry. And sometimes it's in his presence in worship. And I want to tell you, it's a gift. And I know there's a lot of people 
who would feel like resisting that in the moment. I'm in church. I'm in front of other people. I don't know these people. I want to tell you that even if it's an I don't know cry in a setting like this, it is a gift because God is giving you an opportunity to release the pressures and the pleasures of life in his loving presence. That there's, you got a story and there's pressures in life and there's challenges and there's obstacles that are building up continually on the inside. And the safest place to let what's been built up on the inside out is in the presence of God. I tell you, it may feel a bit odd to let the tears flow, and I'm not saying you gotta be demonstrative about it. Maybe it's just you sit down for a minute and you cover your face or whatever, but it is a gift from God to even get I don't know cries in worship because your soul can go from chaos to peace. I just wanna encourage you, if you ever feel it, just lumping up in your throat right there, embrace it. God's actually giving you a gift that what's going on in your life, maybe you can't change it, but you can find peace in your soul when you engage emotionally through crying. So number one, we can shout. Number two, crying. Number three, we can express his worthiness by laughing. We've all laughed at good news and we've all laughed at bad news. Uh, Laughing is a way that we respond to different emotions. Psalms 126 talks about uh, God's people, the Israelites. They had been in exile. They had been in bondage. And God set them free and let them go back to their homeland. And they're going to be able to rebuild their Jerusalem. And it says this, when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. The God's people, as they were released from bondage, and they had an opportunity to, to build the church, to build the temple, to worship God, one of their expressions was laughter, this joy, this delight. And I think when we consider that we've been set free from the bondage of sin and death, and that God has given us the opportunity to engage in worship and building his church, that what accompanies that is joy and his laughter and this delight to be a part of what God has called us to be a part of. Uh, I love that we see Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus, as much as he expressed other emotions, he is defined as filled with joy. I just can't imagine someone filled with joy not having quite often a smile on his face and a laugh coming out. Like he, he was a man of joy. Psalms 2.4 says this, but the one who rules in heaven laughs. I don't know what your picture of God is, but it should also include a laughing God. That he has laughter, that he has joy, he delights. That uh, I think that God loves to laugh. I think he loves to laugh with us. I think that as a dad looking at his kids, learning and discovering, I think he laughs at us, with us, and enjoying everything that's going on. I think sometimes he gathers the angels around. He's like, hey, check this out. Look down there. I'm going to give that dude an I don't know cry in front of other people. It's going to be so funny. Like I think, I think God has joy and delight and interacts with us. He is a God of laughter. As humanity, we love to laugh. We love funny people. We love funny movies. We love memes and YouTube and comedians because we love to laugh because we have experienced that laughter is good for the soul. Can any of you guys remember that, like, uh, that peaceful feeling after a good belly laugh? Like your cheeks hurt, your guts hurt, but there's just like this, life is so good right now and it's so light because you had a good old-fashioned belly laugh. It's a gift. Now, I don't think that church needs to be a comedy club, uh, but I think that there should be joy and there should be laughter in the house of God. Uh, I hope that this can be a place where there's a lot of laughing. There can be fun stories. There can be fun engagement, that there's smiles. And um, man, if we're going to be filled with the Spirit, I love this, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love and it's joy 
its peace and its patience. I, it just If we're going to be a people filled with the Spirit of Jesus, growing the Spirit of Jesus, we ought to be a people growing in joy. That there ought to be smiles and laughter and engagement with joy. Number four, we can express his worthiness by waiting. Other words you could put in there are by being still, being quiet, withdrawing. Stillness is an emotional response. When we're responding to, again, sometimes it's really positive information and circumstances, or sometimes it's difficult. An emotional response that we have as humans is we just, time kind of freezes. We stop, and we sit in the moment. I think that uh, maybe this is a less common talked about emotional response, but quietness and withdrawing and being still is a way that we respond to emotions. And I love that we see a God and a Jesus who engage with this. I love that we see, uh, sometimes beauty is a really easy way to engage with this. Like when you see an incredible sunset or there's just like this, this scenery that is just, just leaves you awestruck, you don't really have to do much besides just sit there and take it in. You just look, you stop, and you, you just are in awe and wonder. I love that God himself, you go back to Genesis at creation, says that uh, he would create he creates something, and then what it says that God does is he stands back and he checks it out. He just looks and observes. He says, man, that is, it's good. And then he creates something else, and then he stands back. He's like, that is really good. That God himself takes in the beauty, the awe, and the wonder of creation. Jesus, uh, if you read the Gospels, Jesus was a really big fan of isolating. Good news for all you introverts. He for sure was around crowds of people, but was always looking for ways to go be alone, to go be just him in the presence of God. He would withdraw. He would find places of quiet, of stillness, of waiting before God. Pretty common scripture in this regard is Psalms 46.10. that says, be still and know that I'm God. Essentially, you need to take time to stop and be overwhelmed with my love, with my grace, with my compassion, that I'm I'm with you, that I'm for you. Stillness, I think, is one of the most significant acts of awe, of wonder, of humility, of honor. And we live in a society that's go, 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 schedule everything. But I just want to propose that maybe God is more important than our agendas. There's so much to do in life, so much that we could engage our time in. But the God... And his presence is more important than our agendas. We just started instituting something with our staff that we're calling Monk Monday. We've only done one of them. Uh, we're going to try to do this uh, at least once a quarter. But it's where we take a chunk of hours on a Monday. And although there's lots of work to be done and a lot we could discuss in staff meeting, we're all supposed to go find an isolated place of beauty where we can just sit in the presence of God. And I've requested our staff there are no books there are no headphones. There are no screens. We're not even taking our Bibles. This is, this is not even a time for you to, to pray for these hours. It is going and just waiting on the presence of God. All we're allowed to take is a piece of paper and a pen, and whatever we feel like God is speaking or leading and reminding, we can write that down. But I think it is a lost art of awe and wonder of God to just go stop. So I was like, man, we got to read another book. we got to listen to another sermon. we gotta, we got to pray. we got to... Like, sometimes the greatest show of respect is to be still and to wait and to push aside our agenda. And I know I'm naturally a fan of efficiency. 
But I even think when it comes to a church service like this, there is a understanding that we've got a bunch of kids over there and lunch is coming and, and there's an understanding of what's going on around us. But I often feel the pressure of rushing through a service or we've got to wrap up this song or we feel a bit odd if there's like a three second pause between a song and another song. It's like, this is uncomfortable. Like we're not good at waiting. Like there's this pressure. We've got to wrap this up. We've got to be efficient. We've got to get done. We've got to move. And I think it's difficult. And I think oftentimes we can miss out on the life-changing power of stillness in the presence of God. We want to always be entertained, something to see, something to hear, something to do. And it's not normal for us to stop. Look at what David says in Psalm 62. He says, I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. So many enemies against one man, all of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to my face, but curse me in their hearts. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. I love that um, David shows us a feeling we often have. He's like, there's so much going on around me. There's all this pressure. There's opposition. There's enemies. And our tendency would be to, to go, to work, to fight, to strategize, to plan. And David says, I've got the same pressure. There's all this stuff going around me, but I know that my hope and my confidence isn't how well I can tackle this project. He says, I know my hope and my confidence come from waiting on God. He says, because there's so much to do, the first thing I will do is wait quietly before God. That's a challenge. It's not my tendency. I don't think it's many of our tendencies. And I would say this is really convicting for me in a culture of go, 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 do more, plan more, more events, more opportunities, just get the work done. That if we're going to find strength, hope, confidence, stability. It comes when we take moments of pausing and saying, you know what, there's so much to do that I'm just going to wait quietly before the Lord. Psalms 40, 31, I don't have it on the screen for you. It's another fairly popular verse in the church world. It says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow tired. They'll walk and not grow weary. And it's like this, this champion verse of like, we can have strength. We can have hope. We can run and never quit. And, and it's all true. But I think oftentimes we forget of who gets that promise. It's those who wait on the Lord. Not those who read more and listen more and study more and pray more. And all those are incredible, valuable components of your faith. But where your strength to rise up and to keep running, and to keep going, and to, to, to not give up, and to not quit, and to not cave. Your strength comes from waiting on the Lord. I want to tell you, your best rest is not found when you just stop working. Your best rest is when you wait in the presence of God. Where you begin to worship, you set aside time, you just say, okay, God, I feel you, you're here, you're present. And I'm going to cease activity. I'm just going to enjoy this moment in your presence and let you heal and build and restore. I'm going to ask the band to join me.
<clears throat> a couple of years ago, uh, like my family's favorite restaurant, opened a new location, Five on Black Southside. You know what I'm talking about. You get my, my, my little man, he's five years old. He's six now. All he ever wants is beans and rice. Uh, let's go to Five and Black, get beans and rice. When they opened the Southside location, um, they ran this little contest that's like the first, I don't know, 50 people in line got a free bowl of food. Yet the first, I don't remember, I think it was 10 people uh, got a free bowl of Five on Black every week for a year. 52 free bowls. I was like, that sounds nice. Uh, so it was the middle of winter. I don't know why it was such a cold time of life, but you, you, uh, you, you could wait outside, and if you were in the first in line, you got this, this free food. And so uh, I remember the day they were opening. I dropped the kids off at school, and I busted down to this new building, and it was really, really cold outside, but I planted my booty on this cold concrete for hours because I wanted some free five on black. And uh, praise the Lord, I was in the top 10, got lots of free five on black. It was the best. But I waited for hours, and I recognized there's not a lot of restaurants I would do that for. But the more that you love and care for and value something, the longer you're willing to wait for it. Let me put it in a personal way. The more you love, care for, value someone, the longer you're willing to wait for them. There's some people, if they're five minutes late, peace out, I'm gone. I don't know if we'll ever meet again. There's some people, I'll wait for you for the rest of my life, baby. Like, we just, (laughs) we'll wait. Your ability to wait a longer amount of time is dependent on how much you love, care for, value the relationship. And what's convicting to me is how rare and how difficult it is to wait a couple of minutes in the presence of God. We think like a three to five second delay between songs is uncomfortable. We're not even willing to wait a minute, five minutes for God in his presence. And I wonder what it would look like for us to engage in worship verbally, physically, and engage emotionally. Say, God, I'm caught up in this moment where I'm recognizing awe and wonder and beauty of who you are. And rather than rushing through this and hoping that more words get put up on a screen to tell me what I should sing next, what if I just stopped? And I let my emotions engage with the presence of God in this moment. And I know it's not very comfortable. That's probably why we don't do it very much in churches. But I've actually asked the band to today, as we're building culture as a church, we're going to be people who honor the word of God. We're not just going to do what seems to be the most comfortable. But as we last week, we challenge you. What's it look like to engage physically? We're going to challenge this week. We're going to take about 10 minutes. And I know that's not even that long. But what does it mean for us to engage on an emotional level? And I think one that we can choose to engage in is waiting, being still in his presence. So I've asked Spencer and the team to to lead us in just a couple minutes of worship, to get us in a spot where we're engaging with the presence of God. And then I've asked them to just stop. I don't know if they'll keep strumming or playing some music or if it'll be quiet. I don't know what it's going to look like. But what if we actually put into practice a moment of stillness? Just hearing from God. Engaging with Him. And could God be important enough on our agenda we can wait.
you're willing and able, would you stand with me in this room? I want to tell you, if you're here today or you're watching online and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I want to tell you, your emotions are evidence of a creator. And the fact that he gave you emotions and ways to express those emotions is he's offering you peace, strength, hope, and not just temporarily for what you're going through today, but for eternity. I want to tell you that uh, we worship him because his love is better than life. And our hope and our prayer every week when we get together is that if you haven't experienced the love of God, if you haven't encountered what we call the gospel, the good news, that he freely gives life and forgiveness and hope to humanity, that today would be a day where you, you experience that God. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, you consider yourself a believer, I want to encourage and challenge, especially if Anchor is your home, um, it's a series of challenging you to engage in worship. I want to encourage you to engage, not just verbally and physically, but to engage with your emotions because he's worthy. He's worthy of every single form or fashion or expression that we could come up with. And I believe it is a gift that he allows us to engage emotionally. But we do it not just to get feeling better on the way out. We do it because he's worthy. His love is better than life. So we'll pause. We'll raise hands. We'll kneel. We'll sing. We'll wait quiet. There's so many amazing ways that we can express. I love that it's not just this one thing. These simple words are the only way. There's, he's given us such a broad range of how we can express his worthiness. So we're going to have an opportunity to do that. We'll wrap this up in maybe 10 minutes or so, maybe less. We're going to engage with his presence and then whatever it means to, to wait, to be still. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you're here and that uh, you speak and you don't need someone on a microphone or words on a screen, that you're going to speak on a personal level today. Lord, let us be of those who uh, recognize your worthiness and learn how to express it. And Lord, today, uh, as we have a moment to just pause, we stop in your presence, we take in your awe and your wonder, and know that you're going to speak on an individual level. We love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for tuning into the message today. We hope it blessed you. Here at Anchor Church, we believe that you matter. Would you consider heading over to the website and hitting the contact page? We'd love to get to know you and hear your story. We'll see you next time. We hope you have a great rest of your day.